So welcome and welcome back. If it's your first time at Bergen Zen Center, can you raise your hand? Welcome. <laughs> Glad you found the way in. <laughs> I met you both coming in. Um, my name is Sarah. I'm one of the priests at, at Brooklyn Zen Center. I use the pronoun she and her. And my, my Buddhist name is Dojin, or, which means um, path of love or path of relationship. Um, the, in the fall at, at Brooklyn Zen Center, we do a, an intensive, so a practice, we call it a practice period um, in Japanese, which is where our tradition comes from, Japan. Um, it's called ango. We mentioned this last week, and ango means peaceful abiding. And I and I really appreciate that. That's the the term that's used for a practice intensive. You know, so we're intensely peacefully abiding. <laughs> we're upping our game in terms of our uh, abiding peacefully together and with one another. I think importantly. Um, practice periods are ongoing, like traditionally from the time of the Buddha, a practice period was a time when when the practitioners, when the students of the Buddha would gather together to practice, and that that in se- itself was like the intensifying. And um, it's been really fun. So people are, you can still sign up for that until where you said the deadline is tomorrow. You can actually, it's helpful to have as many people by tomorrow as we can. <laughs> and it's um Sometimes people sign up after that. And some people have been asking, well, if I can't do all these things on the list, can I do it? And the answer is absolutely yes. We kind of, what we do is put on that form all the practice events that will be happening in the fall. And then each person tailors, like for each one of us, what will it mean to step up a little bit or to intensify our practice a little bit? And that, and that's a range of people doing like almost everything that you could check off to just checking off one and saying like, I'm, I'm hoping to come on the Saturdays and I'm hoping to talk to a teacher and, and that, yeah. So, so the invitation is very wide. Um, for, so my partner, Charlie and I have been at the Brooklyn Zen Center for over a year now, about a year and a quarter. Um, but for me last year, when we had the fall intensive, it was really, it, there was just something um, very encouraging about uh, feeling like we're all practicing together. There's a there's we have a focus of the practice period, which I'll talk about today. And even folks who have since left the city and and don't live here anymore are also in it in their own way participating. And there's this way that we feel that um, the current of our sangha of and of the support of practicing with one another that I think is is a rare gift in this world, actually. Where so often we have to feel like um, we do it, we do things by ourselves. <laughs> yeah. The theme of the practice period is non-duality, which is something that like <laughs> working. Okay, thank you. Um, <clears throat> which is a term that you know, I don't know how. Like I don't know how many people have heard the term non-duality and they're like, "Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so relaxing." <laughs> um, it, some people there also the term emptiness gets used. The um, I think the most important piece for me around is is um, 
the focus of a practice engagement that helps us to stop separating things so much, to stop being caught in the delusion of things being separate. And a fundamental teaching in, in Buddhism, and particularly in our school of, of Zen, is that this idea that things are separated from each other causes a lot of suffering. It's like a ground misunderstanding, particularly about ourselves, but really about everything. This idea that we could slice the world up into separate things is, is the root often of much of, of what causes us suffering. And if we can soften that idea and actually step into an alignment with reality, that is the reality being we are like a fluxing system. All, all human beings, all living things are in a fluxing system in relationship to all things around us. We are constantly making and being made by everything. You know, um, if we can, if we can cultivate a kind of alignment with that, we actually might suffer less and we might cause less harm also because we're paying attention to, if we think we're separate, we can have the idea that our actions don't matter actually, or that I could do something or I could think something and it won't have an impact. But if we're really attending to how we're in relationship to all things, we can't put that responsibility down, you know, and, and I feel like it can shape our actions in a way that means that we're living more skillfully and also living um, in reality versus living in a, a story we tell ourselves of like, I'm over here and you're over there and actually we're, we're separated, which is not to say that we're not particular. And I think this point is super important. We are particular. Nobody else in history ever has been us. No one else will be again. And in this vast universe, the karmic accumulation that is each living being is totally like precise and unique. But it's also at the same time like a living system that is in flux and is being changed and is changing things. When we were talking about this last week a little bit, um, I realized that that this idea, like, like how to engage with non-duality, like how to engage and how to soften the ideas of separation, um, for me is less of like a mind thing. And, and I, I see it more in my, in my mind and heart as a gesture. And for those who can't see me, I'm like moving my arms, like, like here, we've got one side of a duality here, like goodness, and one side of a duality here, like say badness. And we, and we figure out how to hold them both at the, like together and understand that they, that they both exist. I don't have to like toss out one in order to engage with either. And that, and that this capacity for like holding things in a more complex way is actually, um, again, is like, it's first of all, it's living more in reality and more alignment with how things actually are. They're, they're, you know, it, there's there are blurry lines. <laughs> I've been thinking about this because, in part, um, I, I I will get to be part of the offering tomorrow before the march to end fossil fuels, which is called an invocation of spirit, a multi-faith or a interfaith invocation of spirit. And um, what I want to offer is that. If, if we would like to soften this idea of being separation separate, we have 
right in every single moment, this amazingly profound teaching of our breath. And it can just seem like, oh, yeah, like breath. Like, yeah, I've mindfully breathed before. But really, if we really attend to an inhalation, like we're breathing in, we're, we're actually, if we really pay attention there, every single time we do that, we are, it, it's, a, it's an embodied enactment of like we are dependent on everything around us. We are dependent on our physical environment around us. And that one actually I bring to mind more often. The one I forget about is, and then when we breathe out, we are offering sustenance to, to all the green things around us. You know, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and then sometimes I'm like, you know, like it's sometimes it feels like it's just this air here, you know? So it's like, wait, am I breathing in when I'm supposed to be breathing out? <laughs> but what's so cool is like, it's, it's so vast like that. So we're breathing in, we're breathing in, we're taking in what we need to survive, namely oxygen, but other stuff. And all that other stuff is also the result of a bunch of karmic actions and, and as well as other things, karma of people, but also of like stars and stuff. And then when we're breathing out, you know, I think it's really um, beautiful if we had the chance to take physiology in our lives where you realize like what we breathe in, mostly what we breathe out is not what we just breathe in. Our exhalation is actually you know, that oxygen went and it went on all these cells and it did on all this stuff. And our exhalation is actually um, carbon dioxide that our bodies produced in all these processes. I can get really into this. <laughs> Everybody's like, um, and that that feeds the world. It feeds the plants and trees. And then so that they can make what we, you know, we're in this, what we need to live. So we're in this reciprocal cycle. And so if we even pay attention to that, maybe just one second a day, how could we get, how, how could we believe an idea that we're separate? That this, you know, maybe this stuff doesn't have anything to do with us or whatever's in the air, or that smoke came from Montreal, you know, like in the spring when our air was full of the smoke that came down from the wildfires in Canada. Like, I felt like people were like mad at Canada. That's <laughs> like, you know, we're in a sea. We live in the sea of atmosphere together. That that, that has that couldn't care less about national borders. <laughs> and so, of course, or even several years ago when we were when we lived in California, we've had a lot of time spent in smoke-filled environments living in California. And I remember the one year where it wasn't there were wildfires in California. It wasn't so bad there. And here there was like the orange sun. Like it came all the way on these high streams across the country and, and kids were, you know, needing to wear masks in Park Slope because of the because of the air. So we have this resource, you know, that every moment could help us soften an idea of being separate, of just breathing in and paying attention to that and just breathing out. And we and and I think in our in our um, in this school of Zen, we we really want to cultivate things that soften this delusion. Um, as a focus for the like how we engage non-duality, how we engage the complexity, we um, are going to use 
we're going to have spend some time looking at this text written by the founder of Soto Zen, Dogen Zenji, called Genjo Koan, or actualizing the fundamental point, where there's a lot of really interesting and, and again, like seemingly simple, but then like layers and layers of subtlety in terms of what it's offering, teachings about how to soften our deluded minds and how to live more in reality. And toward the beginning of that, he says, to carry yourself forward, to carry the self forward and experience myriad things, experience all the stuff around us, that's delusion. When we are moving through the world and we see how myriad things come forward and experience themselves, including us, that's awakening. And then he says, those who have great realization of delusion are Buddhas, and those who are greatly deluded about realization are sentient beings, meaning like people, deluded people. And I really like this. For many years, I was like, I, I wonder what that means, <laughs> those who have great realization of delusion. But I think what it offers is uh, an encouragement that the way for us to be um, more aligned with reality and the truth and the complexity of things is to look at the delusions that we actually have and to understand them for ourselves. Then he goes on soon after to say, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. This, you know, so again, you could almost picture away what he's describing. Sometimes we move through the world feeling disconnected. We feel like a separate self and we are moving, we're in control <laughs> and we're moving ourselves. And then there's like the out there. So the duality we're working with there is like self and the world or self and other. It's a pretty big one. It's pretty fun fundamental. So sometimes we, we come when he says to, to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion. He's describing when we come from that vantage point, I'm over here. I don't even, I'm not even paying attention to the air. I'm not even noticing that I'm breathing. I'm separate. You're a problem. <laughs> you know, that kind of feeling that we all have. It just, it, it happens. It's probably adaptive that we descended from people who have a protective feeling about their, their body, you know. But then the other possibility is um, that everything comes forward and experience itself is awakening. And again, like including us. So that's a, just a different possibility of how we might move in the world. So some of some of the big dualities, um, you know, that for for myself anyway, are, are the uh, are, is that one like self and the world, self and other, us and them. That's a big one. <laughs> And I think it's also important to, to care for the fact that if we grew up in the United States, which not everyone here did, but um, if we did, we get an extra dose of dominant culture serving us individuality as like a good thing, a good idea. Pull your own self up. It's all about your effort. It's all, you know, and this totally actually, um, it's, it's really delusion, you know, when we say, that people who are successful in this country, that's their own effort. It really ignores like, like, you know, centuries of systems of advantaging and disadvantaging. 
as I was thinking about the big us and them duality that can arise in our minds, and then for myself, because I did grow up in the United States and I and I grew up in cultures that had particularly big doses of the individuality, individualism thing, um, that that our fundamental desire for belonging ends up often getting plunked into this duality of us and them. Like I have this longing to feel connected. You know, if I if I think in terms of, of our practice, we can we can uncover that because that sense of belonging, I think, is very much connected to the reality of how we're connected to all things. And actually, we all do belong to this world, to this universe. Somehow, this miraculous thing happened of like these human bodies got created. Like we it's amazing, you know. But then with all these cultural overlays, there can be this feeling of like, oh, the only way for me to feel uh, a sense of belonging is, is in an opposition to who doesn't belong and an us and them. I can see it, you know, with my, our, our children, but our son in particular, who's not quite 12, he's always trying to figure out the like, what team are we on? <laughs> who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? You know, and it's, it's a, dualistic way of thinking actually you know, that that again like even we're probably promoting it unconsciously even if we don't want to be and then the culture is just serving up over and over again there's a good guy there's a bad guy he also particularly likes to align with the bad guys <laughs> which i think is kind of fun and transgressive of him so i think there's a way that we can hear this idea of of um of um, breaking down dualities, um, we can misapprehend that and think we could just flop over into like, we're all one. But again, I want to offer that gesture of like, no, no, it's like he, maybe one side of the equation is where everything is totally connected. Another side of the equation is where everything is particular and we and the skillful thing is to hold them both. Don't let go of the particular when you attune to the connectedness. And that way, we can really care for what's happening. You know, I was recently talking to a, a friend, a Dharma sibling about like what it means for me to be in the position of being a Dharma teacher sometimes. And I was saying, you know, one of the things I pay attention to all the time is my racial location in this society. And I try and I really try not to put it down like what does it mean that i'm when i'm in a position of power like being a teacher is you know and if some part of me is like oh no no i don't want to <laughs> but that doesn't help anybody you know i think if we can when we're when we're empowered we need to see what am i bringing here and again so that for me is like hold that particularity all the conditioning that comes with that it's a it's very complicated you know and my conditioning as a white person is not necessarily the same as others but the more conversations i have with people the more i'm like yeah there's a lot of stuff we share <laughs> and and even having conversations with people from other countries who identify as white which i sometimes get to do which i really appreciate yeah there's a lot that we share in because of the momentum of imperialism and colonial mindset and christian domination even european domination and so keeping an eye on that, don't put it down. And at the same time, can I hold connectedness to everybody? You know, and, and, a, and a kind of belonging that holds both. 
in another thing that we chant called the, the Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, there's this really neat, I, I've heard it translated in different ways, but the one, I'm pretty sure the one we use here, you can, somebody tell me if I'm wrong, because um, the translations have changed. <laughs> but one of them is, um, subtly intruded, included within the true inquiry and response come up together. So far. <laughs> Communing with the source. This is the part I really like. Travel the pathways. Embrace the territory and treasure the road. And I've heard that lots of different ways over over years of chanting it. But just this last week when we chanted it in the morning on on the online zazen, I thought it felt so encouraging to me around engaging with dualities. I, I heard it as an encouragement of like, since dualistic thinking is part of the cultural water we all swim in it is sort of the road we're collectively traveling on you know get into it embrace this territory of delusion turn all the way toward it don't have an idea that freedom is going to be elsewhere but turn around back like toward like well how did i get this thinking how did how did i how did I inherit thinking about, for example, white and people of color, white and black and being separate cultures? Attend to the road that led me here. Don't be like, actually, I'm leaving the road. I'm going over there. We're, we're all one. Like, that's not going to help anybody, I think, in my experience. Because I've seen it, actually. <laughs> I've seen people be like, we're all one. And, I'm, and, and it, it plows through the territory we're in together, which is very charged, very dualistic, you know, and very slicing the world up. But if we can, within that, like being, be on that road, be in that territory, and at the same time hold, so what it says to begin with is communing with the source, stay rooted with that truer sense of belonging and and who and what we are. Root there. And then move into the world with all of its delusion and all of its trying to convince you and me that we're separate and that we're uh, better off that way. And and then and then treasure the situation, which is that we could illuminate things with the Dharma. We could take a breath in and feel how we're connected, and maybe do something differently than our cultural conditioning offered us. Yeah. So for me, this the practice engagement of non-duality, um, well, I, maybe I should say that for many years, it felt like a mind thing. It felt like the best thing I could do if, if I was going to try to align with like a more complicated reality where all things were included was to like figure out how to change my brain <laughs> and my way of thinking to that. So I did spend a lot of time um, with like as, engaging with this as an intellectual endeavor. But I think what's kind of cool about Zen practice is that there are lots of neat words and there are lots of ideas, but we also, so much of our practice is actually an, is embodied. So, so like even today, for those who are here for the walking meditation, that too, you know, like we take, you know, for those of us who use our feet to get around, which again is not everybody, but if we, if we walk around um, 
we could have a feeling of like, this is the most, I mean, we have that word pedestrian, right? Like it's boring, it's average. You know, breathing maybe could be seen as boring and regular. Walking can be seen as boring and regular. Or we could engage with walking. And I feel for me, um, walking meditation always offers this of like, you know, a sense of ourself on the right foot. And then now I'm something different. Now I'm a left foot balanced human being and now and and there's just a way that i feel like it's actually a subtle but profound teaching of like i am not anything solid and separate i'm a i'm a system i'm an i'm a flux this is teaching me this and and i feel like all of our forms you know sometimes they can feel a little stuffy but i i want to offer that all of our forms actually what they're there for is to soften our delusion of separate self. And sometimes one of the ways we engage with that is like, oh, this is the right way to do it and they're doing it wrong. And then we notice, oh, oops. <laughs> or, oh, that's a thing for me. Ah, oh, I want to be right about everything. Interesting. What's that about? Yeah, like what's the road that got me here? That one's really touching actually. If you look in, I don't know, if you... Maybe not everybody here wants to control things and do things right. <laughs> For those of you who do, like me, when you when I look at what led me to that um, habit energy, it's a it's it's usually goes way back, and it's like a desire to be loved, to be included, to have belonging. And again, like, can I commune with that source, that genuine thing of wanting to be connected to the people around me? And then so that I can soften the tightness that might come from a deluded version of that that says, I can only be loved if I'm right. I can only be loved if I get this right or I do it best, I do it better. So that's what we want to take up in the, in the practice period together is for each of us to look at like, what are the, you know, what are your top five dualities? <laughs> <laughs> And like, you know, don't, don't settle on the top five soon, you know, like play with them, <laughs> a bunch of them. Cause I think there are some that are, you know, there are some that are like, I don't know, as I was thinking for myself over the past couple of days, like, well, what are mine? Archetypes of male and female. That's a big one for me since I was younger and used to be more of a struggle for me. Now I'm like, I feel pretty comfortable in, in a, in a wide range in myself <laughs> of a gender spectrum. Um, but it was big in my developmental life, I would say. A lot of times where people were like, no, you shouldn't do that. You're a girl. Like, what do you mean? What, are they, what, like, what was the road that got them to that place? <laughs> um, lay and monastic, that's a big one in our lineage. And I feel like it's often... Um, uh, an undercurrent that doesn't get fully surfaced. And that's one I'd really, again, like collectively, I'd like to complicate. <laughs> and I also think what's really exciting is that historically, that distinction is maybe not as tightly held as sometimes people want to hold it in the songs I've been in. You're either this or that. It's like, well, actually, <laughs> and even historically, it's always been muddy. It's always been complicated. And another one is like spiritual and worldly 
or, or, or sometimes I, this one isn't so big for me, but I feel it come up a lot of spiritual and sexual being a dichotomy. And I'm like, no, 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 like, come on. <laughs> or I would like to encourage a world where those things automatically go together and everybody feels the, oh yeah, <laughs> sexuality is spiritual. Spirituality is sexual. Like, okay, we're okay. But yeah, so how, so inquiring, you know, and we have, what's nice is the, the practice period is 12 weeks. It's like three months, you know, it's a, it's the fall season of inquiry. How is it for you? And for me, you know, and, and then, and then how do we work with them? How do we, um, how do we care for them? And, and again, I want to offer, let's not toss them out. Or be like, oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't want to be good. I should be bad. (laughs) (laughs) No. Again, as I was thinking about, um, it was, it was in a recent conversation I was having with the same person actually, where, where there was some pain around talking about, this was another white identified person. We were talking about our racial identity. And there was pain there, and I realized, oh yeah, I, there's this feeling that um, I remember. Actually, we were, Charlie and I were part of a teaching team that was called for a program called the Dharma of Being Anti-Racist. And um, Reverend Leanne, who's going to come here in October, was well, she was the key person of developing this program, and we were working with her on that. And um, we'll do like a the workshop on the afternoon when Reverend Leanne gives her talk in, in October. Will be like a mini part of how we did those. Train these these I don't know were they eight and like fifteen week trainings anyway <clears throat> I remember having these cue cards that were like trying to explain what my experience was as a white person around engaging with internalized racism which was like early on getting the messages of like good you know like to be loved equals being good racism equals bad you know. If I'm racist, then I'm bad, and then I'm not good, and then I'm not loved. You know, so this the way that there's like this glitch, particularly I would say for white identified people, where what it ends up happening is it's hard for people with that acculturation, I'll include myself, to receive feedback around being racist because we're like our whole it's an existential threat. Like if you say, you know, anyway, I feel like actually I have cultivated and I am ongoingly cultivating with a lot of uh, beings help. The capacity for, I feel pretty neutral now. I have inherited racism. It lives in me. It sometimes shows up. It sometimes uh, shapes my behavior and my language and everything. When someone gives me feedback about that, I now feel supported. And again, like this isn't something I did. This is like in relation to a lot of people. I feel supported to be like, thank you for that feedback. I would like to hear it. But there are a number of people in my life who are like, you're telling me I'm a bad person. And you can, and you, in those interactions, you know, I try not to get to that place, but you can feel the person feeling like it's an existential threat. I'm going to be excluded from all goodness. So then what's it like to be like, I'm a good, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm not 100% good. <laughs> I'm good enough. And I include bad things, things that are harmful. I have the capacity to cause harm. And I'm a decent person. This is actually my children have helped me learn this. <laughs> I'm a good parent. I have caused harm. 
they have legitimate complaints. <laughs> I have harmed them. It's so humbling, so humbling. But again, like if I won't, if I can't look at that dichotomy, like good and bad parent, for example, there's another one. And I can't look at how they both live in me. I can't skillfully, I can't grow actually. And I can't skillfully engage with the world. I can't receive that feedback when they're like, hey, this wasn't okay. I'm like, yes, it is. I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't help anybody. I can't hear you because I'm so good. You know? So I think there's a way that this, this, um, when I was thinking about like, why did we want to focus on non-duality? It's because um, I think it's, it is like this engagement is the thing that reduces suffering. It is, it, or it's the, it's the kind of engagement that's lifelong and maybe lifetimes long that helps us be genuinely connected and genuinely responsible to one another and, um, and show up, you know. Yeah, and and hopefully I don't know what's going to happen because I think it there you know there for that um, for the interfaith service tomorrow there might there may be a lot of people. Each person gets three minutes. <laughs> like who knows what's going to happen to me in that situation, but I felt like the best thing I could offer from our tradition is this because I feel like when we orient, and again I want to also offer. We, we orient and then we reorient and then we reorient. It's okay that our mind snaps back into duality. It's just what it's made to do. Again, it was, it helped us survive. It's not a failure of our practice. It's not a failure of our intention. But then again, breathe in and breathe out and be like, oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. I belong here. <laughs> I was made. I'm part of this world. And then we reorient and it helps point us in the right direction for the next thing that happens and the next thing we do and the next thing we say. So please, let's keep talking about these things. Thank you. I think that's it. Thank you all very much. May our intention Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.